along. Hi, is that Andy? Speaking. Andy, hi, it's Tim Reed here. Uh, Hello, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very good, thanks. Are you? Yeah, I'm fine. Are you? Chilling before tonight. Where are you? I'm in Liverpool. Um, uh, we've got an uh, evening show tonight. Ah, right. Okay, so you're at the theatre. It sounds like a, a train station. No, well, I'm actually in the pub below the theatre. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, that's the cricket, typical. So I'm, I'm well happy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm just giving you a call about uh, next Tuesday. Are you still good for that? Yeah, I'm good for that. I was going to uh, email you and uh, double-check on times and yeah. place, etc. Can't wait. Be, All be right. Good. Be good to meet like, you. Take care, bud. All right. Have a great weekend, and I uh, hope it goes well tonight. Thank you, mate. We had a All good right. press night last Did night. Did Standing out on the press oh, night. Oh, fantastic. Oh, you can't... <laughs> there you go. What a great start. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. All right, mate. Well, Brilliant. I'll see you very soon. Yeah, cheers, Andy. Enjoy the cricket. <laughs> take care. <laughs> see you. Bye. Hi, I'm Tim Reed. I write comedy and coach teams in creativity and innovation. And I think we can all learn how to be more creative by finding out how comedians and comedy writers think, behave, and the methods they use for coming up with a steady stream of new material. So I'm getting inside their funny minds to see where their ideas come from. Today I'm talking to Andy Ford. Andy's been a successful stand-up for over 20 years and has been described by Matt Lucas as the funniest man alive. And according to The Stage and Television Today, Andy is one of the top 10 comedians in Britain. His big break came in 1997 when he appeared on The Big Big Talent Show, hosted by Jonathan Ross, which led to a Royal Variety Show appearance later that year. So I invited Andy for a pint. So, Andy, so I'm going to get inside your funny mind. Are you? Yeah, I am. I am. That's nice. Uh, what do you think I'm going to find? Um, I think you'll find uh, influences that date right back to when I first watched, started watching television. When was that? Well, uh, I was three weeks and two days. No, um, well, I see, I was born in 1957. I'm one of these oldies that, that came through when variety was king. Yeah, yeah. And so I grew up, um, I would say every week, after two-way family favourites on the light programme, there was always a comedy show. My parents loved their comedy. We sat down, we listened to the Clear the Road Kid. We listened to Round the Horn with Kenneth Williams. Yeah, yeah, Kenneth yeah. Horn. We listened to um, the Ken Dodd show, the yeah. Outreach show. So those were my first tastes of comedy. And then, you know, on TV it was Eric and Ernie, which I got into in a, in a big way. So I, w- I was brought up with all that stuff different styles of comedy but the um if like the moment that i pinpoint when i knew that comedy was going to change my life yeah. was i was 12 years old mm-hmm. i was at uh, grammar school in exeter and and some guys came around saying that they were uh, collecting for a, a spastic society mm-hmm. at the theater in exeter mm-hmm. over two nights at the morecambe and wise show i checked with my parents they gave me permission in those days before health and safety we were allowed to sit in the steps in between the seats uh, Morecambe and Wise did two shows on one night and two shows so there were four shows all together I sat there and I cried with laughter I was 12 years old I'd never seen anything so funny and the thing that really got me is they were making it up as they went along to suit the audience yeah. second show came on and this is a 12 year old lad yeah, yeah. thinking Obviously, it went so well in the first show that they put it back in. Third show, fourth show, bang, there it was. It's all rehearsed. All the ad-libs were rehearsed. 
the audience felt that they were doing them for the very first time and I suddenly Amazing. thought the skill in yeah. that I didn't think as some people might think well that's not right if they make you think they've made it up of course it's right because it's a profession and totally. a comedian is part of their tools and immediately that made me think well th this is such a deep and skillful thing that uh, I got I carried on I mean I did my first paid gig when I was 12 playing wow. the banjo wow that I joined bands and stuff and of course someone breaks a string you got to fill in mm. so I'd, I'd do a, a joke there the jokes were all of the time I probably couldn't do any of them now <laughs> but yeah so that that was my route into entertainment yeah. the influences uh, when I was a young lad uh, listened to the goons etc mm. that introduced me to surrealism strangely enough mm. I got into the goons after Monty Python right because right, they right. were repeated on, yeah, yeah. on the radio so but, what made you think that you could do it having seen it and seen like you say what a craft it was well, or did you just think I've just got to do? Well, it? I was a poser basically. I was entering <laughs> talent contests from the age of eight years old, singing and dancing and telling jokes with my cousin. So it's just stage was my home. I'm more yeah. relaxed on stage than I am yeah. here sitting in the Ritz Hotel with you. Yeah. So that that was um, that was it. I just liked to perform really, and the more I did the comedy. The, the better it became. Because you did music and comedy for quite a long time. Yeah, quite a long time. And then I had another uh, moment in my life uh, when I met my wife, uh, my second and last wife. And I was performing in a holiday camp in St. Ives. And it was 1991. So I was doing the gags that most of the other comedians did, not because I was lazy, it's because what was accepted mm -hmm. at the time, mm. uh, playing to that demographic in those venues. So some of the jokes I just did on rote. And um, my now wife said to me afterwards, uh, do you like doing those jokes? I said, no, they're awful. She said, why'd you do them? I said, well, everyone does them. She said, you're 30 odd, why are you wearing a tuxedo? I said, because I'm a cabaret act, and that's what cabaret acts do. She said, I've got an idea. Why don't you wear something that suits you and your age group? And why don't you do things that make you fun, that make you laugh? Yeah, yeah. Comedy that makes you laugh. So I reinvented. I, I thought, someone's given me permission yeah, yeah. to pull the comedy from inside out. That is so interesting. So what I did was I studied, because um, I, I love physical comedy, yeah. you say. So I studied the movement of kids if, yeah. if if children are upset and they shrug their shoulders and stamp their feet it, it's acceptable we put that in a human body it mm. looks ridiculous yeah, so yeah. that was the basis of the freneticism etc see that's a clever idea is actually you so putting those two things together that yeah. have never been put together before exactly. in, in an act so so what made you think that well first of all someone that i instantly fell in love with gave me permission yeah yeah <laughs> and uh, but the, but the, the thought the, of doing the kid in the adult body oh, no, that, that came from me i, I, I like the extremes of a, a, a petulant child kicking yeah. his leg and, yeah and, and, and an adult doing that just yeah. looked really really silly and uh, so I, I reinvented all the comedy i started doing stuff quite surreal stuff that i really enjoyed mm. and the upshot is i got no work for two years the that, work dried up completely because you were suddenly doing things differently agents said i can't use you mm. we can't use you you're not a safe act two and years I, is a long time to whoa. not think right i'm stopping this and going back so what made no, you keep going because i believed in him and because people that came to see me say 10 percent of the audience 
said, that is brilliant. That is, I've never seen anything like that. Mm. So I've always said, if 10% of the United Kingdom public mm. love what I do, I can buy my own island. Yeah, 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 yeah <laughs> So, so I, I, I just, I just kept going with it. And then the next thing that happened, uh, Michelle put a little video together of bits of me on stage, not doing gags, just the ridiculous stuff that yeah. I, that yeah. I do. And I put a little montage of that together, and uh, I got onto a program called The Big Big Talent yeah, Show I remember, with Jonathan I Ross. Remember. 97. Yeah, that's right. And uh, oh my God, you're not mm. stalking me. Or, and <laughs> and uh, so that went great. And I did the Royal Variety show from that. Mm. And the host of the Royal Variety that year was Des O'Connor, mm. who loved what I did because it was different. In fact, one of his intros to me was, do not adjust your sets. He really is like this, which was that's, that's on my CV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had me on his show, then Des and Mel, mm. and all the TVs came in because it was different yeah and but it still you know it still takes people a while if they if they're going that here's the difference here's the life of a comedian mm. if you're a named comedian people that like you and your style will willingly pay to go and see you yeah if like me occasionally you perform on a cruise ship and there are a thousand people in the theater and maybe 25 30 know who you are but the others don't they all enter with their own senses of humor. And if you don't give them exactly what they want, no, you're not funny. And if you don't like a comedian, you hate a comedian. Yeah, if they're not funny, they're nothing. Yes. So you've got to do that every night. So you, so you, you. I you, try and get them all together. Some for you, yourself. some for you, some for you. How to? What goes on in your head when you're doing that? How, how can someone do that? How can you take a crowd and think? Right, I've got to reinvent my material now because you're, you, I, this is what your humour is, this is what your well, humour you is. You use technique. You, 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 what you use is it, it, those little techniques of getting people on side and maybe go up and have a laugh with the people that are sort of not getting it but coming along for the so journey. So talk me through some of those techniques. Well, so techniques are, you, you might, uh, if someone's not getting, there's a group not getting the gags, you might, you, you might deliver something and just say, just remember saying, I'm just going to run through these gags with this lovely table because they're a slightly higher level than me. So I'm going to introduce them to base comedy. Stay right there. Then I'll work on them. Hopefully they'll laugh with it. Then got them on side. The people that were laughing anyway, I don't want to alienate yeah, yeah, yeah. them. So I still give them one. So I have to jump between different styles. I mean, that's real mental agility though. Yeah, but it's, it's all training. It's so, all training. So, so how do you get to the point where you can be that mentally agile? Yeah, how do or, I? Or do you think that's something you're born with, or is there a process well, I, you can get I, better at it's it? It's just experience, Tim, I think, really. I mean, because you can't be a good comedian without being a bad comedian first. You have to learn how not to be a bad comedian. A good friend of mine is a Cornish comic called Jethro. He's, he's a really popular comedian. Mm. And he said, you and I were chatting one night with the help of, um, I think it was Bells. And we were chatting one night. <laughs> She's a lovely girl. Isn't she good? Yeah. yeah, Beauty and the Beast. So we were chatting one night and he said, I think what you and I have learned is how not to die. Now that's interesting. Which, it, which, it, which is a skill. You can't always, you know, walk off with the audience standing up. Uh, luckily, I, I've got... Um, I've got a great following in Bristol where I've been performing for six years in pantomime, seventh year this year. And uh, the people that love me come to see the shows and they just want 
pure Andy Ford. Mm. But if I'm working in a situation where they don't, know, people don't know who Andy Ford is, I have to win them over. So it's it's a it's a bit of a brain thing going on yeah, because yeah. one night you walk into somewhere and uh, just do my traditional stuff and people love it. And then I go, the next night people go, well, what's this guy all about? Yeah. So, but only comedians have those scars. Yeah. <laughs> but what do this? I'm trying to work out what those scars give you in terms of techniques as well and the things you've learnt to do quickly. Or, or is it about preparing material first? Have you got? Brain no, you've got to work stuff. on your feet. You've got to yeah. do it on your feet. And if stuff's working, then you milk yeah. and, and you enjoy it. If it's not working, you move on. You move on and you sound confident as yeah. you're moving on. You don't stand still and let a silence happen. So ha- what do you move on to? Where does that next thing come from? Well, uh, you, you normally have a route map of where you're going to go with your comedy. And I have a slightly different route map on a, a cruise ship than I would do on an Andy Ford gig in the in And the is Bristol. that literally a route, man? Or, it, you know, that you, you, you can see in your head? Or yeah. is it something you've worked out and planned out I can out turn before? left at the chip shop and go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I, do, I do have that. I prepare what I'm going to do. And especially, you know, if there are musical cues in there, you, you have to give a cue sheet to the sound guy so you can't yeah. go too far away yeah. from it or else he doesn't know when to press, you know... And when you're so when you're coming up with the ideas in the first place yeah. for new material, is there a place you go to literally, or in your head, or people you need around you, or a there, place in your house? Yeah, lots of places. One of the places I go is into a collection of joke books, and you know I never, ever have had a problem with um, reading a good joke and delivering it because if you've never heard that joke before, it's a new joke. Totally. And I would never hear a joke and or read a joke and deliver it the same way I know Andy Ford very well mm. I've spent a long time getting to know him uh, pulling all his emotions mm. out from the inside I know his phraseology I know his timing so you know I can now change gags around a lot quicker than I could but the other thing is that's always a good basis for a routine if, if something makes I never do anything that doesn't make me laugh if it doesn't make me laugh it's yeah. not even considered. Yeah. But if it makes me laugh, then it's a starting point. And just just say it's a, a gag in a chip shop. Just say yeah. it's a gag in a chip shop. Well, then you sit down and ask yourself questions. Why did I go to the chip shop? Did I just burn a pizza at home? Why did I burn it? Did the phone go? And was that my mate who's just lost his job on the phone, which is why the pizza, which is why I'm in the chip shop in the first place. And when I take the chips out of here, do, do I get mugged? Do, do I drop the chips on the floor? Does a taxi go by and splash me? It's the last time I go in a taxi. Then you do a gag about taxis. So you just, you form tributaries yeah, yeah, yeah. from that original joke. And you might end up with a routine where you actually throw that joke away. That is so interesting. So you go back and look at, you, so you dig into old joke books. Just so I got this right, you find a joke that you think is funny, but you, you backtrack a story. Yeah. Now, I, and having seen you, you you perform, I can totally see that. And but um, a lot of the comedy when you're delivering it is in the story that you've invented. Yeah. So you've taken a joke as a spark of a stimulus to create a story, and really your routine is the story that you've invented. Yeah. And and the most important thing with any joke is to personalise a joke. Um, if, if for example you're a Let's just say you're a Jack Whitehall young lad who has girlfriend problems mm. or whatever. Then the joke might be about, you know, the reason he's at the chip shop is because his girlfriend 
refuse to cook for or whatever. So you change the gag to suit you. And if you're a lad that lives home, say, with his parents, then you make the gag around them. Basically, whatever joke happens, if you personalize it, it becomes story and not joke. Yeah. Still laugh lines, still moments to, to snap that tagging. But if people are believing you and your character, then it's just part of your life. Yeah. And people, now years ago, you'd have comedians such as um, wonderful Frank Carson, I worked with for six months at Blackpool, learned a lot from him. He'd just go gag, 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 Tim Vine, gag, 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 great. If that's the sort of thing that you want to do, people get a laugh every minute but I prefer people to buy into Andy Ford the character my life whether it be sad or exciting one moment I want them to come on the journey I want them to see me walk into the chip shop and when I'm standing in 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 the line maybe my friend Dave the guy with the ginger hair that likes playing table tennis was next to me so what I've just done in that one line is give you a little bit on his background maybe later on in the story yeah I'll refer to table tennis or the fact that he's yeah going to. so actually that's something I've seen you do is you obviously it's you come back round to something you mentioned <laughs> yeah. earlier in the story that is a comedy technique that yeah. a lot of comedians use. yeah and it's brilliant because everyone laughs at the recognition of oh I've completed the loop there are so many reasons people laugh one is I mean misdirection if people love you can get that with using words that mean more than one thing so you spend the first half of the joke everyone assuming that it means that and right at the end you twist it so it means something else so they they laugh knee jerk nah you got me that sort of thing or they maybe see the joke coming oh it's gonna it's gonna be that it's gonna be that then you give them exactly what they think it's gonna be and they laugh because they're proud of themselves for working. Yeah. So there are lots so of different ways. So almost those two opposite things, they both work. Yeah. So, and you train in comedy as well. You train people through uh, stand-up for yourself. Yeah, I do, I've, um, I've got a DVD out with, with tips and hints for comedy and uh, speech giving. And that's because I love what I do and I, I, you know, I want to spread it around, really. I, the more people that come into our business, the better. I'm 58 now. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, but I, as a comedian, hopefully I'll still be doing it when I'm 97 and three quarters. But I, I'd love to see new people come into the business. And I'd, I'd, I'd like to see people going out and, and learning rather than get on the TV too early. Yeah. When, when you're still, you know, formatting your but comedy of this, style. Of those tools and techniques as yes. well. So I'm... I imagine a lot of those are about how to think creatively as much about as how to be funny, so how to come up with new ideas. Yeah. So well, in which one, case, lo- all sorts of people could learn from that in terms of t- just to turn up their own creativity. One thing we haven't touched on here is stagecraft. Yeah, of course. And that's, that's very important. You can have the best character in the world and the best material in the world, but if people don't relate to you, yeah. then, then they're not going to laugh yeah, at yeah, So yeah. I was very lucky having... Uh, 10 or 15 years as a, uh, a singer and front man to, to learn how to, how to work in audience. So uh, what I talk about and one of the things on my uh, DVD is, is forming your character. And what I'd say to people is that character has to be endearing. I mean, take mm-hmm. someone like Frankie Boyle, who is about as controversial as you can mm-hmm. get, still does it with a twinkle in his eye. He, mm-hmm. he, his material may not be warm, but he is. So you, people remember comedians they don't remember yeah. material yeah, yeah. they remember comedians That's so i say try and make that character as close as possible to the real you hyper version yeah. downbeat version but you have to have empathy with the 
with the person you're portraying. Yeah. So that obviously is that's going to be a technique that anyone could benefit from in any walk of life. Yeah. yeah. What, what What are the other things that you train people on that you think actually, even if you're a bank manager or an accountant or a estate agent or work in a shop, that that would help you if you need to think differently, if you need to be able to be creative. I like to call it looking for funny. Looking for funny. Right. We've already mentioned words that mean more than one thing. And it happens all the time in conversation. Um, also, there's a, a, techno, a technique where you, you just do something completely opposite and, and it works. So, yeah, yeah. You, for example, if, if someone says to you, I have had the worst day of my life. And you say, well, that's fabulous. Yeah. Straight away, you've done an opposite reaction. to yeah. So comedy has come out of the fact that someone said one thing and you've twisted it. Yeah. The only thing I would say is you have to censor yourself when you're listening to conversation because the funny things that come into your head may not be particularly appropriate yeah, yeah. at the time. You know, you know, I've lost my father last week. That's terrible. And he's still dead, is he? That's awful. Yeah. You know, it, it's a funny line, but yeah, not yeah, yeah, if yeah. someone's grieving. So, yeah. so you it's have to... It's not the time to make it. Exactly, too yeah. soon. So yeah. you do, you do the, the, the comedy censorship, but the main thing is what I say to people is still think. You're still thinking of mm. of those things, and comedy can come out of pure logic. I'm going to throw a Tommy Cooper at you now, one Wonderful. of my heroes. Right, he did this routine where he said he was influenced by some of the greatest entertainers of all time. And in the 1940s, there was a wonderful entertainer called uh, Al Jolson from Hollywood. And he'd stand on the stage and he'd sing, "How I love you, how I love you," and look, they didn't have microphones in those days, you know. And people would stand at the back of the cinema and shout things like, Oh, we can't hear you. Which is a fabulous <laughs> show. He's basically said the guy hasn't got a microphone. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. The sh- but if you notice, he didn't say um, they didn't need microphones in those days. He yeah. said they didn't have microphones yeah, in yeah, those yeah. But he said it like they didn't need them. Yes. So you can infer... Sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Mike. You can infer <laughs> something by using different words. Oh, they didn't have microphones in those yeah, days, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. which infers oh, the they didn't The craft is need. so important. Oh, the yeah. technique is amazing. And, and it, most and important works. thing is people don't know you're doing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like sleight of hand. It's yeah. the same with illusion. It's exactly it? the same as, yeah. it, as magic. So say, with all these tools and techniques in the craft, yes. if you... And I'm sure this has probably happened where some, you've suddenly needed to come up with new material. Mm-hmm. Or if someone says, right, we need, you know, you need a new, you're playing to a totally different audience tomorrow night and you realise you've got to be creative and come up with a load of new stuff. Mm-hmm. What, what would you, what's the process you go through in your head? Well, I, I look, to start off with, I look for jokes. There are ways of writing jokes as well. For example, um, the list format, which was um, created by Gene Perrette, who used to write for Bob Hope. So just say, you, say you're doing something topical and there's a story in the news about a new car mm. and a story in the news about a fur coat. Mm. So you write a list under both of those titles. Uh, where would you keep the new car and garage? Where would you keep the fur coat and a wardrobe? You, and you write, say, 50, maybe 100. And then you cross-reference and you'll come up with a simple gag like... Uh, my wife and I argued about what to spend our limited funds for at Christmas. I wanted a new car. She wanted a fur coat, so we compromised. She got her fur coat, but we keep it in the garage. Yeah. Which, which is it's quite, it's a nice little gag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's just come from cross-referencing. Oh, that's lovely. So that's a technique you could use any yeah, time. Any time. Yeah. Anytime. And, and the other thing is, or I might just dip into a junk book, finding a gag that really makes me laugh. 
and then, like we said earlier, ask questions on it. And then when I, if I get four or five different pieces together, I'll just walk around the garden doing them over and over again because on the fifth time through, I'll find another line. I'll find a quicker line or I'll find a tangent. So I just talk, talk, talk. And because I know Andy Ford, I can, I can sort of fairly hone that stuff before I put it in front of an audience. It'll be honed more when there's reaction to it, but I, I know Andy Ford enough to know where he'd go with that particular material. So you, you test and build, test and build. It's like you reiterate and reiterate until you think you've got it It's never nailed. done. Comedy's never done, you know. You don't just say, I'm a funny comedian. I think I'll go and have a sandwich. No, it's, it's a con- it continues yeah, yeah, forever. Yeah. yeah, that's brilliant. So if anyone's listening now and they're kind of thinking, yes. you know, what's the one thing I could do today to up my own creativity? What's the one thing that you'd tell them to do? Talk. Um, there are various exercises. I, when I was just after that time, when I started creating, recreating my character, I had a, a great guy, Mickey Marodi, and he'd throw subject matter on me. It's a little bit like uh, the BBC's Just a Minute, where you have to talk for a minute without deviating or repeating. And we'd be driving to a gig, and he'd shout, Paving slabs. And I'd talk for a minute, two minutes on paving slabs, trying to make it as funny as I could. And then he'd, then he'd shout out, Volavant! And I just talk. So just talk. Look for the words that mean more than one thing and try and create jokes from them. Um, what I always say when I'm giving classes is talk until you've got something to say. That's the most important thing when you stand up in front of people. And because all comedians go through that time where if they're having a tough night, where the gags that were all lined up at the front of their brain have moved to the back because of the pressure of the gig not going very well. So what I've learned over my 35 years as a comedian is how to talk until I start pushing them back forward again. You know, the the dry mouth thing that comedians get. At the same time as the dry mouth happens, the gags disappear. And every comedian listening to this will know exactly what I'm talking about. So what you do is if you're strong in your character, you keep it going until the jokes come forward. Just bear with me one second, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just going to see if I can do this. Obviously I can. And and the other night, then the gag will come back. So it's, it's like maybe... A musician just playing a little arpeggio before he gets into the next song, resetting himself. We have to reset ourselves with words and physical comedy. It's not too deep, is it? Do you know what? It is deep, and that's why I love it so much. Andy Ford, a real comedy craftsman. There's three really interesting things that Andy talked about. Using an old gag as a spark and then building a story around it. That's a great way of building a new idea. You can take an existing idea and then build a new world around it. He talked about the list format, so taking two start points. Andy talked about the new car and the fur coat and making a list under each one and then cross-referencing them, looking for new ideas. Well, you can do that with a product and your consumer and make a list under each one about what we know about them and then cross-reference them to make new links, find new ideas, new opportunities. And talking... Non-stop talking as a way that a stand-up can refind their place in a routine. Well, I've used that same tool in idea sessions, getting people to talk for four minutes non-stop about their challenge. Just see what comes out of your subconscious. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more in the Inside Funny Mind series on iTunes.